0: Through his Mastering the Game of Life podcast and books, Paul also helps people to get their own inspirational messages and powerful stories out into the world, as well as being involved in supporting many charitable organisations in their development, fundraising and projects.
1: Listeners and welcome to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. Today it's going to be a little bit different, and for the next few episodes it's going to be a bit different because what we're going to be doing is focusing on the co-authors of our amazing new book, Mastering the Game of Life. Essentially, twenty global co-authors share their story around you know whatever it may be, and delighted absolutely delighted to introduce a lady that's been on just more than one or two podcasts with me and uh, in fact i think it's fair to say she's cracked the whip on a few occasions because she's had the hot seat or the mic and the lady in question is kim hamer from australia kim goes without saying very warm welcome to you
2: thank you paul hello everyone it's great to be back for this special new edition of the podcast
1: yeah. So your chapter in the book, Kim, without going too deep, let's have a little dance with this and let's explore it a little bit. Let's sizzle with it, if you mm-hmm. will. And visibility is more than just being seen. So start us off. What What do you mean by that statement?
2: Yes, it's something I toyed with for um, quite a while as to what the title would be of my chapter. And I knew it was something about visibility. It's something um, I... I do as a as a as a coach I work a lot with um, visibility and personal branding so it's something that's very close to my heart professionally but it it was also there was something there about um your whole self being visible not just the the external trappings or the traditional sense of being visible so it's not just about being physically seen um there was something in there about um having your your whole self or your true self recognized, I guess. And that's that's where that, that title and, and part of my story comes from.
1: Mm. So is it important then, Kim, do you feel for us to first and foremost be in touch with ourselves, be visible who we are before we put out that external persona of, look at me, I'm a coach, I am this, I am that. You know, create this, I used to use the word corporate image, but this whole kind of you know, this is who I am as a professional, is that old is out that that these days? Do people want more? They actually want a piece of you, don't they, personally? Or does that not hold? Um,
2: so I think the the first thing to say is, you know, people buy from people. We connect mm. with people. We don't, you know, connect with companies so much we connect with the people in those companies and the people who make those organizations tick so that's what we're actually connecting with so I think that's the first thing I'd say is that it all comes back to people I think the second thing I'd say is that um, I think it's a balance of both actually I think there's something about finding out who you are because it changes all the time. You know, there's a core of me that's kind of still the the five-year-old girl. But, you know, a lot of that has changed and morphed and grown and and opinions that I didn't think I would have, say, 10 years ago, I actually hold very close to me now. So I think there's a bit of a balance of um, exploring who you are but also really tapping into how others see you. Because we can often go out and think we're being one way, but actually when when you really listen and really pay attention to how others respond to you and what they say to you and what they don't say to you, that can tell you as much even more than you know than all the other stuff, because that's actually the person they are seeing not just the physical but that's the person they experience every day, and that might not be. Always congruent with who you think you are. So I think it's actually a balance pole of that um, external three hundred and sixty view,
1: mm.
2: and actually giving yourself the space to explore not just who you are now, but but where you want to uh, sort of grow personally, explore new ideas, uh, and and be open to the fact that that life changes, and and it's okay to morph and change as you go through life.
1: That's great. I love that. But it's it can be a scary place to be, though, can't it? If we leave that certainty, yeah, but this is who I really am and these beliefs or these conditionings or whatever you want to call it that I've held for so many years... And, and, you know, it's not perfect, but better the devil you know. And all this kind of stuff that carries on the, you know, the crest of the wave of life. Mm. And then all of a sudden we're we're kind of confronted with this opportunity for growth and, you know, new relationships, new opportunities, new whatever. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's exciting, but, hmm, dare I risk it?
2: And it is confronting. Change, You know, if you if you think about how human beings are hardwired, uh, our brain protects us from change because that's uncertain, that's risky. Our brain's job is to keep us safe. That's what it does. Now, you know, hundreds of years ago, it kept us safe from being eaten by lions. So a very appropriate mechanism for keeping us alive and safe. But but now I think the, the question is, so that mechanism is still there. So one of the questions to ask is, well, what's it protecting me from now? And more often than not, I think it's it's fear, um, fear of change. As you said, is it better the devil you know or the devil you don't? Um, I, you know, we can hang on to past things or well, didn't go so well last time so I'm not going to take this big risk next time. Or, you know, there are all sorts of, I think, um, stories that we tell ourselves that, that the, the brain uses to keep us safe and and to keep us protected. That's just its automatic function. And it takes building that that muscle, if you like, to go and say, "Oh, I wonder what if if I tried this, what would happen?" There's a great mm. quote, great quote by Tom Peters, who I, I follow on social media, and his mantra is, "Who tries the most stuff wins." Isn't that brilliant? So if you try mm. new stuff, you can try what fits. You know, it might fit for a while and then it might not fit. I'm not wearing the same clothes as I wore as a 20-year-old. I mean, one, I would probably look ridiculous. But it's okay to try stuff on and take it off again. And I think that's a huge part of understanding who we are, how we want to be seen, and then balancing that with how are we actually seen. I think there's this this real dynamic uh, that happens in life between our view of ourselves and others' view of ourselves.
1: Hmm. interesting comment around the the 20 year old scenario i'm i'm actually in october looking forward to a milestone birthday and i'm looking forward to leaving my teenage years behind and, come, and becoming 20 it must be amazing i mean you've not met that age yet uh, kim you, you know you're far too young not that i'm patronizing you at all <laughs> i have anyway, a feeling we've had
2: this conversation before haven't we <laughs>
1: Yes, we move on, predictable as ever. The certainty in my simple life. (laughs) Anyway, back to more visible things. Mm. So if we've got this opportunity to go into the unknown, you know, potential pots of gold to be found, undiscovered new territories, et cetera, et cetera, and then we've got this concept called visibility, isn't that double scary then? Because not only are we saying, okay, I'm going to go into the unknown – be that you know, emotionally with the relationship, or financially with the business, or a whole host of weird and wonderful scenarios. Now that that in itself is is monumental. Then, oh well, actually, I want to be visible around this as well. I mean, doesn't that magnify our kind of our insecurity of going into the unknown? By is it better not to just do it under the radar? Then, if we make mistakes, nobody really knows about it. Or does it not work that way?
2: Well, it might work some way like that for some people, but I'm not an under-the-radar kind of girl. So mm. that you know that's just an easy answer for me. But what I would say is that, again, I referred before to it being a muscle um, and visibility, it, I think another way of talking about it is how you show up. So do you show up? For yourself every day. What do you stand for? What's important to you? Is it your children? Is it your family? Is it your work? Is it your home? Is it your community? Is it your faith? Like that is part of who you are. And are you willing to be visible about that? Do you show up as that? Um, you know, a great test is uh, to ask people what you're great at or what they know you for. We don't often do this we do a lot of when we do a lot of self-development what we do is ask what can i improve and that's all great i'm a big advocate of self-development but but what this does is demonstrates how how visible you are to other people so if you if your faith is important to you for example does that resonate with how other people see you and when it doesn't resonate you might have strong faith they might not see you as that there's a there's sort of like a a little internal battle as an incongruence that that creates this friction in life like you know I feel this but other people aren't getting me I'm not showing up like that I'm not being visible about my faith in whatever way that is so I think when you when you match what you stand for and what you show up for with what other people see in terms of being visible that's when you get this kind of sense of flow and uh authenticity is the wrong word but there's a groundedness in it about who you are in the moment and I think that's what that that moment of being visible is that when you when you connect when you speak even if you don't agree on the topic or you're at odds there's a sense of of acknowledgement about the people that you are and how you show up for each other and you're you're sort of comfortable in that space.
1: Mm. Great. I love how you worded that, how you show up for each other, because that beautifully segues into my, my question around, okay, so you're a, one of 20 global co-authors, Kim. Um, now, at the moment... Obviously, you know, that they are, or at the time of compiling the amazing book, they were 20 individual stories. Oh. And near the left shall ever see the right, so to speak. However, when the book becomes uh, published, you're all out there together. What does it feel like to know that, or to actually not know, because <laughs> obviously you don't know some of, most of the personalities, the co-authors, their story, the, you know... Where do, where do you go to my lovely? You know that that whole thing around that the world and vice versa. What does it feel like, Kim, to know that you're part of something much bigger than than yourself?
2: I feel excited by it, and what excites me most is is the not knowing. There are, oh. you know, the twenty of us think are so different I mean obviously I haven't you know read the stories and that sort of thing I know some of the people but we all come from such different backgrounds and different places and what I love is that I don't know what will happen for us as a group from this and I think there's something really sort of exciting and invigorating about about the possibilities we can create. But I think the other thing too is that there are, that, that means there's, there's 20 stories, 20 points of view, 20 people showing up so that others can connect and potentially say, wow, if there's one line in the book where they say, I never thought of it like that, that has just shifted something for me. It's shifted how I view myself. It's shifted how I want to play the game of life how I want to go forward, I think then that's a, that's a job well done. And if, you know, we just increase the, the chances of that happening exponentially by a whole range of us sharing our stories and our passions and how we play the game of life and, and you know, some of the aha moments that we've had. I mean, certainly, you know, my story in the book without, you know, giving away anything, there are a couple of big aha moments for me and, they're the the moments where I shifted and went right. I'm not playing this game anymore. This is the game I'm going to play from now on. And that's yeah. really powerful. It's a, you know a powerful moment to have. So if 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 a person gets that alone out of the book, then I think it's a, a roaring success.
1: Mm. And on that inspirational note, Kim, thank you very much as ever. It's it's always a delight when we have a. Uh, a dance, so to speak, and um, I was going to say I look forward to reading your chapter in the Mastering the Game of Life book, but the reality is I've read yours and every other one about 5,000 times (laughs) already, so um, (laughs) listeners, come and join suit, buy the book and, uh, you know, indulge in some real, real deep insights around, well, Mastering the Game of Life, so until next time. All that remains is for me to say, remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts.
0: Thanks very much for listening to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. If you found it interesting and helpful, drop a line to Paul via paul at paul With any thoughts or questions you may have, he'd love to hear from you and he'd be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at wwwpaul Remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts.